0: Thank you very much. Woo! This is a little bit daunting. I have um, sixteen pages of uh notes. the good The good news is my printer thought I need, had visual impairment, so um, it's not going to be that long. It's really, really cool to be here this morning and to be with you all. Um, before I get going, Maybe just help me in prayer um, and that oh, that uh, no, no, you sit there. Um, we don't need help from Pastor Night. Um, but yeah, won't you just join me in praying? Father God, won't you just present yourself here this morning? Holy Spirit, do not you just join our spirits with yours and unpack the word with us, Father, and, uh, root in us, cement in us that, that you want us to take away and just empower us. Uh, we love how you love us, how you navigate life with us, how you walk with us, and how you talk with us. And so we ask you to do that even right now. Amen. So today I want to share a little bit about uh, the incredible power of conversations in life and what we can unlock in in those conversations. And I want to use the model of Jesus in these conversations. Um, And I'm going to use one of his conversations, actually there are many of them. Um, But I'm just going to use one of those. And I've got a, a little title this morning. Because who doesn't like a really good title for a message? Um, And I've basically hybrid a title. Uh, The title is From a Song by Casting Crowns, Love Them Like Jesus. And I borrowed a little bit from what Debbie preached about last week, which is around the operating mindset, operating system mindset. And I've sort of put this title together, which is Love Them Like Jesus, Conversations with a Heavenly Operating System Mindset. Okay? So... Uh, I really want to do this and I want to set the scene a little bit over here. Okay? So before we get into the conversations part, Debbie, first of all, I really wanted to honor you. I loved last week's sermon. I just really loved the way you used the analogy of an operating system. It's something that a lot of people can actually just immediately kind of grasp. Um, and hugely important for me was those four philosophical questions. And kind of, I want to just revisit revisit them quickly. Um, so. Because it's in establishing our worldview through these operating questions, through the answers to these questions, that all of our conversations are actually going to take place. So, who am I? How do I exist? Supernatural or natural? We know. Okay, so this is like a bedrock. We know as Christians that God created us. Like the very first verse, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and everything that was in it. It's like truth right there. Knowing. How do we know what we know? Either revelation, reason, or intuition. Debbie mentioned last week. We know that it's revelation. Look at Matthew thirteen eleven. Jesus replied to his disciples, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you and not to them. Okay, so it's been given to us again, underscoring truth, right? The value. What is of ultimate value? God, man, or matter. We know again that God is of ultimate value. So we know this. Now, I I just love this verse from Romans twelve two, where the verse goes, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now you can only do that if you place your ultimate value in God. That's that's again the truth of scripture. Now a quick side note here, we're gonna to get to number four, but what's key for me about this point is that you know what is our, our value really set on? It's actually one of the key tripping up for many Christians. And and quite often what happens as Christians, we derail ourselves in conversations because people, particularly those people that are close to us, families and friends, I mean, how often won't you hear this statement? Oh, that's not a very Christian thing to be doing or saying. Come on, we've all heard it. You know? And then we kind of like... And we just like stump up because we know... But actually think about it. That twinge of guilt, that twinge of like stumping up, it's actually a really helpful guide. Where's my value in that conversation? The other person's pointing out an incongruency there. They're saying to you, because the little bit they know about Christianity, all of the, 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 you know, think about it, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are on display all of the time. So they know that. And so when they say that, they're feeling... Like they haven't felt that. And that means because our value in that conversation is maybe not in the right place. Okay, So that kind of catches us out. We feel a little bit awkward. But I want to just underscore one very, very important point about that. When you feel that, don't get stuck there. Don't sit in that and go, oh, I'm a bad Christian. Okay, don't. Because what do we have? We have a Father God who actually wants to be with us. And so we get the opportunity to hit the reset button. Oh, that's a self-check. Thank you, Lord. I'm really, I own gold that. Actually, I didn't have you as the center in in that process. Help me get that right. It's like a free gift. Like we get to do that in the moment. Okay, yeah. And then number four, destiny. Where are we going? A God who is in ultimate control determinative of our outcome, or some undiscovered, non-supernatural power. We, of course, know that God has placed us on a determinative, ultimate, eternal destiny. Most famous verse for me around this, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have eternal life. So again, we know we are in the, this determinative outcome, this eternity has been set up before us. So as Christians, I took a bit of a stab of creating a little bit of a lens that we can sort of formulate and something that we can just keep in the back of our heart. So I'll put something together, use it, don't use it, in fact, don't use it. Use it as something that you can work with yourselves. So I am a supernatural being with a knowledge revealed to me through my relationship with my Father God and His Word, in whom I place my ultimate value, and who has set out for me my ultimate destiny, an eternity spent with Him. So there's there's a little thing. I'm going to say that again for you. I'm a supernatural being. With a knowledge revealed to me through my relationship with my Father God, and his word, in whom I place my ultimate destiny, and who has set out for me my ultimate destiny and eternity spent with him. So it's against this lens yeah. that every single conversation that you're going to have in the world is going to be shaped. Now I want to talk a little bit about life apps and and uh, compatibility. So Debbie used that lovely analogy of her iPad and how she was trying to load some apps and they weren't working. Okay. And it got I was thinking about it. Okay, she was saying a little bit frustrated from time to time, but I was thinking about this from a slightly different point of view. So, if the life app is not in sync with the operating system, okay, if that life app is not working, it's glitching, feels off, should we be downloading it? If our operating system, our world view, okay, is the supernatural, knowledge-filled knowledgeful fully valuing God and our eternity spent with Him, then anything that does not feel in sync should not be downloaded. So it's almost like the operating system has a built-in safeguard. Right? What we see in the world today is people trying to change their operating system. They're trying to add different life apps. They're plugging in new identities new value systems, new tools that are not congruent with the original operating system. We know the original operating system, how it was designed. These life apps are just not congruent with them. Think about how many... And, and, and some people are even trying to change the operating system now in, in, in real st- crazy ways. I mean, you know, how many different types of religious... Processes aren't we seeing? How many intellectual substitutes aren't we seeing? People are trying to just advance so many different theories. So it's into this disruption that we have the authority of the original design. And I think as Christians, that's something that we need to sort of really let bake in. Okay, we have this authority, but it's a meekness that we've got to bring to the conversation. So coming back to my, and I'm repeating this worldview: as Christians, we are supernatural beings, supernatural beings, with a knowledge revealed to us through our relationship with God and His Word, in whom we place our ultimate value, and who set out for us our ultimate destiny and eternity with Him. As I said to you, these are the. This is the backdrop against which conversations are going to happen. So conversations. With an identity rooted in true worldview. So we're in a very fast-paced world. We know this. It's a six-second economy. Brandon will tell you if you don't get somebody's attention within six seconds of an ad, they're gone. Okay? That's a simple truth. We all know this, your experiences, YouTube, skip button. You guys know that, you're all familiar with it. So we're contending in this environment. Okay. And I know I'm preaching to the converted this morning. I mean, you guys all just naturally walk into conversations, can sit down and have deep, beautiful conversations with everybody. You know, I mean, it's easy for you guys, right? So, of course, not. I mean, I love the little ex- the exercise, not little exercise. The exercise we did a couple of months ago. I mean, the, the nervous tension that came up through all of us as we went into like the cough- there's okay. do cage. Remember that thing? It was like. Okay, here we go. You know, we're gonna go and have deep, meaningful conversations. Lord, give me somebody. Don't skip. you know? <laughs> you know, it's like that. It's like highlight somebody for somebody else. You know, it's it it is. It's a hard thing. You know, it really is. It's a hard thing. Okay, but but Jesus gives us amazing tips. Okay, an amazing tool. So when we look at the Bible, we see. Lots of meaningful conversations. Many of these conversations are quite challenging, actually. And they're always significant. Now, I'm going to take one. It's actually not a conversation with Jesus. It's a conversation between Abraham and God. And this is a conversation around Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Now, in the book of Genesis, this is a desperately difficult conversation for Abraham to have. He is literally pleading with God for the fate of these two cities. The outcome is not different. God still takes Sodom and Gomorrah out. But he does save some of Abraham's family. He spares them. Abraham moved God through his heart. God saw that. That's a powerful conversation. That's a powerful conversation. Now this is where I want to spend a little bit of time. So, Powerful conversation for me that I'm going to focus on is the conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay. It's recorded in the book of Matthew. It's actually the longest recorded conversation, if you're interested in biblical kind of trivia, that, that is recorded around Jesus. It's a particularly difficult exchange when you think about it in the context of the cultural process. These are people, two people, from very different cultural and belief systems. The Samaritan woman is coming to the well at the hottest time of the day. She's alone. Okay? Not with the other women. So actually during that time the women all go and gather and draw water in the morning together. It's kind of like their tea party. I mean that's what it was. It was a community moment. This woman has to go by herself. Okay. She feels insignificant. In fact, she knows she's insignificant. Okay? Jesus is already at the well. His disciples, as you recall, have gone off when she arrives. He doesn't start the conversation with like a supernatural thing. I mean, you could say, hey, how are you? I know you. You had five husbands. <laughs> right? And the guy you're with now, not your husband. That would have stopped her dead in her tracks, yes? Probably, okay. He could have also said, I am the Messiah. And just those words would have been again a stopper for her. He also didn't even need to start a conversation with her. Just think about where it's coming from. Well established cultural fact, he's a Jew. By this stage, he's also a rabbi. People are acknowledging him as rabbi, okay, and he's a man. Tick box, tick box, tick box. I need to talk to you. You're insignificant in my sight. But we know that that's not Jesus. He is not just willing to entertain a conversation with it, He wants to, and he starts this with. Will you give me a drink? Simple request. Of course, we know the detail of this. Now, I think we just need to think about that request of, "Will you give me a drink?" What Jesus is doing in that moment is, with all of the backstory, the knowledge that He has, he's going into her world. He's asking for her help. because okay. he is thirsty. It's a practical request, okay? She in her mind, can you imagine what's going through her mind? I'm like, I'm unclean, I'm like this person, he's a, I know he's a Jew, I know he's, you know, it's like, what? But then we see in this conversation it unpacks, and he of course does mention, you know, the, the backstory, So he does show the supernatural, and he does say that I'm the Messiah in the conversation, but so impactful is that conversation whether that she does what? She leaves her well and she goes to the city and she shares. And what happens? They invite Jesus to stay for a couple more days and what happens? More people come to him. That is a conversation that highlights the importance of dialogue even in challenging circumstances. That would have been an absolutely awkward situation. Absolutely awkward situation. In our world today, any conversation, especially about Jesus, is probably going to be met with some resistance. Okay? It's the way we approach the conversation that makes the difference in all of this. So, the Bible records 132 contacts with Jesus. Did you know that? I love a little bit of facts and stuff, so I'm going to give you a few. stuff. Six of those are in a temple context. Four are in synagogues, 122 contacts with Jesus are in real life. Come on. In real life. Real life. There's a couple of things about this. Number one, I would guess there are actually more than 132 contacts with people. Think about it. How many times he was walking along the road from city to city. He would have had lots more conversations. Okay. But what we know is that the Word is God-breathed. It's inspired. So that means we have to pay extra special attention to the conversations that are recorded in the Word. Because they're there for a reason. It's not by chance that they're there. Okay. And number two, and for me, the most important about it, is 92% of Jesus' recorded, recorded conversations we're in life. I said it in the beginning, I'll say it again. Look at the value that Jesus places on having conversations in terms of doing life with others. So how can we have a productive conversation in our current w- environment? I mean, we know. We can see it, guys. You know, it's on display. Life apps are being plugged in all of the time. If, you, if you're in any environment today, what do we see people? They're desperate. They're desperate to find answers. So, what are they doing? They're trying to plug in these things. First and foremost, we must approach a conversation with humility, That's so good. with dignity, and with respect. We need to cultivate a truly other centered mentality in this conversation. We need to listen to others and genuinely understand their perspective. Jesus was a master at truly hearing people. Truly hearing people. Now, I'm going to use one of these things. It's not actually to do with a soft conversation, but you see this in his replies to people how astutely he's he's listening and discerning. He reads their real motives. So we see this, okay? In his engagement with the Pharisees. And you remember that part where he's down and he's drawing in the sand and he's quiet. And the Pharisees are like, they're wanting to stone this woman. Okay? And his answer, because they're trying, they're trying to catch him out. It's Sabbath. So if he, if they, if he says anything that's action orientated, gotcha. Okay? He says, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. The only person that could have thrown a stone in that moment is him, actually. Everybody else, starting with the most senior Pharisee, walks out. He understood what their motives were. Now, that's not a conversation around redemption. Like that, but I'm trying to just get you to think about when you listen to somebody talking. They'll give you an answer or, or they'll give you a reply. But what's the underlying thing? So when we're talking about identity and you're having a discussion about identity, what is the underlying thing about identity? It's a feeling of feeling like I'm not known. That's what it really boils down to. So I'm trying to place another identity on myself that's going to put me in a space where I can feel part of something. That's what it is. You know. So in this, in this world at the moment where identity is such a big challenge, When you go and listen, listen to them. Just listen to the conversation. They are desperate. They're missing out. They're lost. They panicked. So we're going to download and plug in a new app. No. Okay? In that conversation, believe it or not, he's actually quite respectful. Because he could have got really angry. He actually could have really gone at them. But he was quiet. We don't know what he drew in the sand. I, I think he was probably just doodling, actually. You know I don't think it was like, you know, some verse or anything like that. I just think he was like, "Come on, like, really... You know, do I have to say this?" And then he does. Yeah. You know. So what's important about having an established worldview is you get a built-in filter. So, when the Agile unpacks worldview, you need to listen. Okay? It's a checking mechanism against which you can evaluate somebody's answer. When you seek to understand a person's viewpoint, it's not that you're trying to win a conversational point. It should be to understand their viewpoint. Yeah. It's not about something, it's not about changing your worldview point, though. Okay? That's not what I'm about. About understanding how they've arrived at the point. What lens are they looking at life through? Because when you've established the lens, then you can establish how you can have the conversation. You're seeking to what? Walk alongside them. You don't want to nose ring them to an outcome because it's not their outcome. That's the other thing that's really important about a conversation. Okay, our approach to the conversation will determine the trajectory of that conversation. And so we need to make sure that it's a good approach. So check your approach. Okay? Number two, cultivate a curious mind. What do I mean by that? And how does that have bearing on a conversation? So it's essential to be willing to change your own thought on something. So if somebody says something and they go, oh, okay, well I can see what you're saying about that. It's not changing... The truth. So I'm not. Don't plug in something that's different. Don't change the operating system. Don't change your worldview. But understand how they're talking. I spend a lot of time reading about worldview topics. I, I love reading about it, and I've sought to understand particular kind of viewpoints just to help me become equipped in conversations. I have a particular passion for people who claim atheism as a worldview. Um, I. I really love engaging with people who call themselves atheists. Um, And to do that, I've spent a lot of time. You know, I've watched a lot of debates between really, really preeminent speakers. I've read quite a lot on science, on different types of philosophies. In truth, I'm not entirely sure that I could win an argument against a really, really true atheist. Okay? I have to sort of acknowledge that. Um, but by God's grace, I think I've only ever had two conversations with people that I think truly understood what it means to be an atheist. Okay? Most people that, in my experience, and maybe that's what God's put me on this earth to do, is they, they actually, I I actually call them lazy atheists. Um, because they give atheism a bad name. They, they, they actually don't know what it means to be an atheist. They're borrowing it from somebody else. They've, they've been in a conversation with somebody and they've set a worldview based on some words that, that kind of made sense in the moment. And most of the time, when you really get into the conversation, they actually just love the sin that they're living in. You know? And so they, they're, they're going to be atheists because then the means that the Christians can't judge and go away. You know? Um, and, and the other thing that I found in so many of those cases, they quite often are Christians already. They disillusion Christians because of an earthly experience. They've had somebody do something bad by them. They've, you know, church has spoken about this or they've put their trust in a leader of a church instead of God. And so they've been disappointed by what that is. And so they throw the whole baby out of the bathwater and become atheists. Because Christianity is bad. When it's not bad, it's just that they've, they've been let down by people. And then leads me to my third point, and that's tone. Okay, so in your approach, we spoke about approach, but I want to add a tonal value to that. Okay? Um, you have to acknowledge people are working out their faith themselves. Because God actually asks us to do that. With fear and trepidation, work out your faith. Okay? If our tone is tempered in a flame of love, though, and that's the important thing. You know how metal, you see, they temper it. It goes, they put it through heat and it makes it stronger. But if you temper it with love, then it's a different kind of approach. We know how that feels, don't we? So we know when we feel like we're being loved in a conversation and when we're being judged in a conversation. Yes? I mean it's actually probably the big flags that go up in our lives. Like we get in a conversation and we go like, I didn't feel loved in that conversation. How much of that conversation lands then, you know what I mean? So to prepare for these conversations is crucial to be rooted in our faith and have a solid understanding. Okay of our beliefs. This biblical worldview that I, that I sort of illustrated provides a foundation for our conversations and it enables us to acknowledge, you know, to acknowledge the truth and have the conversation from three key things for me. Love, grace, and truth. Conversation without those three elements, it's not a conversation. You can't even have it just with two of them. So, if you try to have a conversation with love and grace, but no truth, then you're not sharing truth. If you have it with truth and love, but no grace, people say, but love and grace, you say, no. It's not. You've got to have grace for a conversation. You got The person's got to feel the grace. If you have it just with truth, and no love and grace, it's not a conversation. Conversations are more than just exchanging information. It's about building relationships, sharing ideas and learning from each other. It's an active listening process. Seeking to build a relationship with someone is crucial. Meaningful conversations have the power to transform lives. We, in this room, are all beneficiaries of a conversation that somebody had with us. And it transformed our lives. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth right there. If that is just one bedrock truth that you take from this today, that's a bedrock truth. Somebody took the time to have a conversation with you. In our current world, it's crucial that we approach our conversations with a listening-first mindset. So I'm part of a business networking organization, actually. It's called B&I. And the founder of this organization is a guy called Dr. Ivan Meisner. And he has this famous phrase. He says, you have two ears, one mouth. Use them proportionately. Okay? And I, I love that. It's actually, for me, I'm a big talker, so you know, I have to apply that very, 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 very carefully. It's actually the antithesis of what people are experiencing at the moment. So... Everyone is just really to get is really keen to get their point across now in conversation. I don't know if you've noticed that. I mean I'm guilty of that, I have to be honest. I I was watching an engagement, so part of you know, unpacking my worldview is during my lunch time I will often watch topical kind of worldview discussions. At the moment in the UK there's a group called Just Stop Oil. Okay? Yeah. It's come out and you've seen them on the news, they tie themselves to bridges, they are trying to throw sort of pink paint on people on cricket pitches and whatever the case is and the BBC have this kind of program where they invite people on for like these discussions you know so I'm like I bookmark this one for later viewing anyway so I was watching this one and in the conversation which wasn't a conversation three minutes and they start with the usual play hello my name is this and hello my name is that and you know whatever yeah we had to talk about this and your haptics around that but what happens is it boils up. Okay? And then you have the presenter and the head of Just Stop All and they're talking at each other. For like seven minutes. I'm watching this engagement I'm thinking to myself, they, they're not actually listening to each other. Just, they're not hearing each other. There's nothing. I mean, everybody is watching an absolute like. <laughs> what just happened? Exactly. <laughs> It's really good TV. Ratings through the roof. 1.5 million views in like, I don't know, it was like 40 minutes or something like that. So through the roof ratings, I bet you, because then what happens is, I love this thing. And then obviously the producer hoys into the guy's ear, saying conversation needs to end now, we have to go to break. And it goes like, sorry, we have to end it now. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, What happens is, okay, if you asked each of them, the presenter and the the person from just up world, who won, they would both go, I did. (laughs) Yes? Because they haven't heard each other. They made their points and they just made their points. If you walk out of a conversation feeling like you have won, Then know that you have most likely lost. Yes? To engage in meaningful conversations, we need to. I'm going to say this again be rooted in our faith and in our worldview. And that, uh, you have to underscore that. Okay? Our biblical worldview should be an enabler for the conversation, though. We know the truth, and therefore we get to approach conversation with a unique insight. We get to have a conversation full with love, grace, and truth. So maybe a little challenge as we just close this out. Okay? It's my final paragraph. Have you worked out what your worldview is? Have you established yourself in the truth? And establishing yourself in the truth is not a week I'm established in the truth. It's a serious establishment in the truth. It's foundational. Because, you know those lovely songs we sang in, in, in Sunday school, you know? The, the wise man builds his house on the rock. The, the, the truth in that statement is it's foundational. It's rooted. It's structured. Are you prepared to listen? So, have you established self and are you prepared to listen? Are you prepared to step into their world? To become their friend? Remember you don't just need to win a conversation, you need to make a friend. That is it for this morning. I hope that was helpful. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit NigelAndDebbie.org.